step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. Playing a lot of stuff. <laughs> hey, everybody. Good morning. Thanks so much for joining us. My name is Harriet Kamuk, and this is Down to Earth, the podcast in which we talk about the issues that matter. And today on our show, we're going to swing right into it. We're going to talk about millennials and religion, why the age group from 23 to 38, why are they not going in touch? Why are they not religious? Why don't they believe? Why don't they go back to religion? We're going to talk about it. And we're talking about this the day after impeachment. So I want to state this categorically because this, our shows are digitally captured. And as you know, in today's world and in the future, anything that is digitally captured is kept for generations to come. So 10 years from now, 20 years from now, somebody will be listening to the show and they will wonder what happened the day after impeachment. It's only been the third time in our history that we have impeached a president. This is the third president who has been impeached. And it seems we're growing. It seems that our adjustments and our perspectives are expanding. I mean, we impeached, we almost impeached Nixon, <laughs> right? But he resigned before articles of impeachment were done. It was sent to the courts, and before it was done, he resigned. But And that was something egregious, because they accused him of Watergate, of stealing information on his rivals. Not much different from what's going on today. And then, of course, the biggest joke of the, of the, of the millennium is the one with Bill Clinton, because he was literally uh, impeached for getting a blowjob in the Oval Office. A blowjob is not serious. It's not a crime. If it is done between consenting adults, he didn't hurt anybody, but he was impeached because he got a blowjob in the, in, the, in the Oval Office. That's really what it came down to. He was just a very popular guy with the ladies, and the ladies maybe loved him a little bit too much, and he loved the ladies equally. <laughs> so he was impeached for something as ridiculous as that. Fast forward 20-odd years later, almost 27 years later, right? And here we are with the president who was accused all kinds of stuff. And here we go. Unbelievable. So it's the day after impeachment. They're still talking about it. So it's not that conversation, I'm afraid. It's not going to end for a while. It's going to go on and on. And history is going to record what happens as the impeachment process moves along the way. I'm just so over it. It's, it's as partisan, as base as you can get. And it's not getting us anywhere. The winner is Vladimir Putin. That's the winner. The winner is not us. It's Vladimir Putin, right? So today on our show, I want to talk a little bit about millennials, and I want to set you up. Tomorrow, we're going to talk about sex trafficking and uh, that young lady, Crystal Kaiser, from Kenosha, Wisconsin, who was who is uh, locked up right now for killing her sex trafficker, right? And we're going to delve into that to find out why the prosecutor and the police knew that this man was having sex with underage black girls and did nothing about it until one of them killed him, right? So we're going to talk about that tomorrow. Uh, but today, I want to talk about millennials and religion. You've also heard me talk about millennials, and everybody is blaming everything on millennials and why they're this and so on. Millennials have done a lot to shape our culture. In fact, millennials have shaped the way we shop. They've shaped the way we listen to music. They've shaped the way we read and get news. And they've shaped the way television is. Most of us today don't even, without millennials, we wouldn't have known Netflix, Hulu, and Amazon. Millennials kind of created a demand for streaming service because when they went to college, they wanted to watch TV on demand. And they couldn't wait for the local TV station, and they couldn't pay for cable while they were in college. Cable was expensive. Cable is still expensive. The cable companies held us hostage because they thought we couldn't do any better, so we would have to pay whatever astronomical fees they were charging. Well, Netflix came up with the idea of streaming service through the Internet. 
if you have an internet connection, then you could log into Netflix and watch whatever you wanted to watch, whenever you wanted to watch. Appeal to millennials. Millennials created such a demand for Netflix. It was only $7.99 per month at the time because they first started out as a DVD thing where you could, you know, write, write the DVD, then you put it in the mailbox and send it back. Remember that? Right? And you didn't have to go join a blockbuster or anything like that. Well, then they began to deliver the same service through your internet, which they found was an easier way to mass market and so on. Millennials created that demand. So we have millennials to thank for that. We also have millennials to thank for the rise of Amazon because they could find stuff on Amazon, get it shipped right to your door, and then you don't have to worry about going to a store. So if if you have had a child in college and they call you and want something, if you could find it, you could have it shipped. Instead of having shipped directly to you, you could have it shipped directly to them. So millennials created online. They created the demand for online shopping. They created the demand for streaming services, which reduced all of us, our dependency on cable. Cable TV is a joke. There's nothing ever to watch. And they still want to charge you astronomical fees, but there's never anything to watch. Never. Like, you never. Right? But And so most of us now stream. Like I was talking to my sister last night. I stream a lot. She's still one of those people who still hasn't gotten into it yet. Her kids all stream. Everybody has their own Netflix account. And trying to get her to watch it, just stuck in the, you know, just still stuck in the old ways of doing things and not changing. Me, I kind of just go with the flow. I look at it. If it works and it appeals to me and it's easy for me to use, I'm with it. Right? So millennials have contributed to popular culture. They have contributed to the way we listen to music. Millennials created podcasting because they wanted to hear radio on demand. They wanted their own brand of talk show. They didn't necessarily want to hear about politics. They wanted to hear what was relevant to them. So they created the desire and the need for podcasting. So we have millennials to thank for that. So they influence popular culture. They influence, we, my generation, probably invented video uh, video dancing. What, what do we call it? Music videos. Millennials took it one step further where you can stream it on YouTube. So if you are a YouTube creator, millennials created that. In fact, I read a story that more kids today, not just here in the United States, but across the world, want to be a YouTuber more than they want to go to college to study and to become something. They think being a YouTuber is something they should aspire to. Again, millennials did that. So it is no secret then, and it shouldn't be a surprise, that millennials are also influencing how we look at how we look at uh, our religion. It shouldn't be a surprise. Millennials are leaving religion and they're not going back. Why? Anybody knows why? Well, there are a number of reasons, but I wrote down three of them. There are a number of reasons why religion. Millennials have left religion, and largely, I don't think that religion in the last 20 years, in the last 25 years, has done a good enough job of attracting people. Hey, morning, right? I'm, I'm reading. I'm reading. Religion, religion is fairy tales. Again, that's your perspective. How old are you? Are you a millennial? Are you a millennial? Right. Religion has not done a good job of attracting people. Let me see. How old are you? You're 52. Okay. Right? It hasn't done a good job of convincing the public that it's a viable belief system and a viable entity to invest in. Religion has not done that in the last 25 years. In fact, religion has operated from the perspective and the posture that I'm going to be here no matter what, and you are going to have to come to me no matter what. And people are sitting back like, stay there. And just kept it moving, really, right? Because now people are not as dependent upon religion for a belief system. And in fact, it's like everything else. If they did not grow up in it, then they have no affinity to it. If it wasn't a part of their culture growing up, then they weren't. You know who is to blame for millennials leaving religion and not coming back? The parents. Generation Xers. We are the ones who are to be blamed. 
for millennials leaving religion and not coming back. Why? Most of us did not raise our children by taking them to service. We rejected religion. We, and again, the blame lies on the generation before, who practiced a form of religion that was oppressive and repressive and enforced religious practices that denied us of the rights to be an individual. They didn't change with the times. The times changed, but religion did not change. So my generation grew up thinking, I don't need this stuff. I can exist without it. I, there are other forms of religion I can practice. I can believe anything I want to, hence the rise of new, what we call new ages, where people went, traveled the world, they found people practicing other forms of religious practices, and they embraced it because it suited them. Right? It suited them. So we raised our children. Oh, lots of time wasted for no real gain or perspective. See? But there you have it. If it didn't mean anything to you and it didn't resonate, then that's your experience. So chances are your children were raised with an apathy towards religion. They didn't see its relevance, its cultural resonance to their lives. They didn't see any relevance, and they didn't derive any meaning from it. Some of us grew up going to empty services that we were kind of just required to go to, bored us death on a Sunday morning, right? Didn't even try the preacher or whoever was the pontificator. Didn't even try to make it relevant. So what am I doing here? I could stay home and watch YouTube. So millennials grew up in homes, most of them, where there was no religion taught. That's one reason. Traditionally, though, uh, people tend to go back as they get older. They tend to go back as they start having children and find spouses. Then they tend to go back to some form of religiosity. Millennials did not. Most, the second reason, I was raised in it, mom and uncles all pastors. Fact is, oppressors use religion to control. I agree with you right there. I'm with you on that one, right? Uh, so what happens is, they, most millennials today are marrying people. I get you. I totally agree with you. It's true. It's something I talk about a lot, that one of my listeners, one of my viewers is saying that it's oppressive and controlling. I agree. It's something I talk about a lot, that most of us were exposed to religion, an oppressive, repressive, controlling form of religion where you do or you die. God is going to hate you anyway. So why bother? Anything you do, God hates you. That was, I found, a tradition of men. That was just extreme forms of mental control designed to control you and overcome your own individualistic ideas. There was never any room. The reason most people reject religion is there's, there seems to be, the practice, I should say, is that there seems to be no area or no reprieve for an individual to think. It's my way or the highway. Accept it. It's my way or the highway. It's like, and then I read the scriptures and I was like, wait, most of these monolithic religions were based on many men, not one. The traditions of men. They, they practice a form of oppression and repression and pass it on to you and I and say, we must do it. And I'm like, are you kidding me? And then in an effort to figure this thing out for myself, I read the scriptures. And I found that there was a big difference between what was written and what was practiced. They made it seem like women, when I, I'm a woman. When I was growing up, the kind of religion that I saw practiced was we were bad, we were seductress, and we were the devil. Having a period was the worst thing that could happen to a woman. A woman was just a person whom you had sex with. And she, uh, her job was to seduce and lure men away from what is oppressed. That's how, that was the messaging. You would have hated yourself, right? And if, whatever she put on or dressed, she's the one who is subverting men. Then I grew up. And I'm like, so I'm responsible for how you feel about your sexuality? It's my fault that God made me a woman? And I read the scriptures for myself. Furthermore, there was little time to support for women, all male-driven rubbish. You're right. Absolutely. Hey. Shout out to you, right? And so what happens is most of us then, we look at it and we're like, so it's my fault? And then they use the story of 
Eve. She was the seductress, right? Then they cursed on poor Mary Magdalene and um, what's her name? And Martha, right? And when I read the scriptures, I found out that that was not even true. Those were the traditions of men. In the Old Testament, there were all traditions of men. Then I went over to the New Testament and I found out that, guess what? Jesus Christ seemed to have liked women a lot. I mean, they were always around him. He talked to women at the well. He ministered to women. He talked to them in a way that religious leaders in practice were not doing. So you have a child who grows up in the age of information, right? Information is readily accessible to them, and people with diverse opinions are available to them. And you expect them to come to a religious oppressive practice? How is that going to resonate with how they feel about themselves? Do you? Th- it, it's not God who is wrong or the, or Jesus Christ. It's the presentation of it. It's how it is cloaked and couched. Just like my viewer is saying, he's 52. Every kind of religious practice that he saw was oppressive and repressive and controlling. He should know. He says his uncles are pastors. He definitely knows what goes on behind the scenes. He knows exactly what they say, how they manipulate the scriptures, how they manipulate people's emotions, thinking that they're representing God. No, they're not. I found there was such a discordance and a disconnect that I, too, had to walk away from organized religion and an organized form of worship. I couldn't stand it. I still found that I had a need for faith and a belief system, and I had to find a way to pour it mine. Because they were, it wasn't being satisfied in organized religion. They threw me out of the church. Not because I was a heretic or standing out there naked waving a flag. Not bec- Just because I did not believe in oppression and repression. Especially as it related to women. I just didn't see how Jesus lived like that and practiced that. And if Christianity is based on the teachings of Jesus Christ, then these folks, as far as I'm concerned, misrepresent the facts. And grossly misrepresented it and have grossly misrepresented it for centuries that it's now a turn off to everybody else. So where does that leave people? Millennials, people 23 to 38, walked, are walking away from religion in droves and they're not coming back. They're like, well, I didn't grow up this and it doesn't have any re- resonance or relevance to my life, so I guess I don't need it. Now, is, will there come a time when they reach 45 and 50, what will happen? Who knows? We don't know yet. Because this is a new thing. This thing where droves of young people are walking away from religion is something we have not experienced. And you might say to yourself, some of us, you might be saying, well, maybe that's why in another time they practice control so much that they could control people, that people would feel bound to coming back. But my friends, this has been going, this freedom, this thing that millennials are feeling, this relief they have felt and have totally just walked out of the stadium, this has been going on for a while. Religious leaders just didn't pay any attention. Like my viewer said, they were caught up in their, in their forms and their traditions. They were so busy looking at what is in front of them and so involved in their own esteem and in their own egos, they forgot to do what Jesus said, follow me. Jesus never told them, follow a man. He said, follow me. That means if you immerse yourself in the teachings of Jesus Christ, somehow you are going to read that scripture that says, I have come to set the captive free. The day I read that scripture <laughs> was a very liberating day for me because I couldn't believe that it was written in the Bible. When I read, I have come to set the captive free, I'm like, huh? Because captive for me is any form of oppression or repression. And if Jesus said he came to set the captive free, that means anything that controls you, oppresses you, and represses you is something that his teaching through my mind and my understanding was going to liberate me from so eventually I could walk out of it. I'm like, then what the heck is going on in the pulpits across the country? And around the world, I'm like, what is going on? Did they not read that too? I was so excited. Do you see what I'm saying? How my own experiences in reading the scriptures differed 
from what I saw and experienced in organized religion. And you wonder why you don't see me in pulpits across America for this very same reason. How are they going to invite someone like me who is the antithesis of what they preach? They preach oppression, repression, and control. And here I am saying Jesus came to set the captive free. In fact, it was prophesied from Isaiah. So what happened to that? Did we forget that? No, they just kind of gloss over that. And they seek to, rec- to preach the parts of the scripture, right, that were related, that was demonstrating how people, how religious leaders and how civic leaders had to practice control. They forgot the story of the real story of deliverance was Jesus came to set the captive free. So he said, follow me, follow my practices. See what I do? He said, what I do, do. He said, what you see me do, do. I was like, okay, that was another thing that totally liberated me. I looked at religious leaders and I started to look at, I am female, I'm part of the human race. There are two human beings, there are two types of human beings on the planet. You know who they are? Who are they? Male and female. Those are the only type of created human beings on the planet. There are other created entities, the animals, the animal kingdom. But there are two types of human beings on the planet. I am one of them, and so are you. Right? So when I looked at humanity, and I looked at how women were treated I recognize, just like my viewer observed, and I'm sorry that was your perspective and your experience, because it sucks, okay? It really sucks, and it's not true, right? I had to look at, well, how do they treat people who are like me? I'm a female, so I'm the carrier of life. I am made by God to be the, the opposite of a man anatomically, so that I can be, when I receive a man's seed, I create human be- human life. Human life resides in my body. So I am endowed with the attributes to look like that. So I had to look at myself, the way the gospel is presented. Jesus Christ is presented as a male figure. He didn't seem to have periods. He didn't seem to have, you know, he seemed like a man because he was always walking all over the place and dusty and all sorts of stuff, right? And so <laughs> I-, I kid you not. So I had to look at, well, why are women being mistreated so badly in religion? And then I go back thousands of years and I began to realize that historically the context in which the Bible was translated in, the king at the time wanted to control the people. And one of the ways he found he could control the people was through the message that went out through churches. So he had to find a way. So the way it was presented, they found parts of the Holy Scriptures to make sure, preach this, talk about this. So that man submit himself to woman. But they never talk about the other part where the Bible says, love your wife as Christ so loved the church. They don't talk about that. Mike's husband was the most most abusive son of a tower on the planet. Right? He was extremely horrible. There are 1,000 pages of the Florida Department of Law Enforcement to prove that. And that man who grew up in the church, he was an acolyte. In the Episcopalian church. He walked behind the priest and carried the candles and all that stuff. I kid you not. His parents were deacons in the church. Um, This man practiced atheism. He said he didn't believe in God. Yet, you know what he told me? The Bible says you should submit to me. And if you don't submit to me, I have control over you. I was like. That was the point in which you would have expected that I would have walked away from religion. But my experiences and observations differed from what he said. I recognized that he was just taking out parts of it that appealed to his ego. I dare say this is the thing that is happening with millennials. So he was taking out parts of it that appealed to his ego to oppress me. I'm like, you're just going to continue oppression. Go away. Right? And so this is what we're seeing today. So my generation, Generation X, we raised our children. Well, not me. I said I went to church, so I took my children to church. Because the Bible says, train up a child in the way it should grow, and in the end, it will not depart from it. Right? So I went to church, and I exposed my children to religion. But I found myself, I have one daughter who is a millennial, right? I found myself having to explain 
why that was not cool that the pastor did or what they observed and why. So after a while, my children became like everybody else, apathetic. Because while they could find maybe some spiritual relevance or some sort of spiritual gain, some kind of comfort, they were like, what the heck? Mom, they treated you badly. And I said, yeah, a group of men. They're no different than any group of men who are in power anywhere else. It is what, that's what they are. So my youngest daughter used to say, well, shouldn't there be a difference if the love of God is pervasive? I said, but they're not practicing the love of God. She says, well, why did God allow them to happen? I said, I guess to prove a point, it's up to me to draw the parallels. God still gave us free will to choose to believe or not to believe, which is different from what, what organized religion teaches. They don't talk about free will that much they don't, because it doesn't suit them. They want you to come into their services so, and come into their buildings. It's about the money. So when they, you come into their buildings, chances are they're going to get a chance to get you to, to invest in them by giving a donation. Do you see what I'm saying? So it's, all, it's still all about that. So they're not going to tell you that God really created you with free will. They're not going to tell you that in the story of Genesis, that in the story of Adam and Eve, what was inherent there is Eve's free will. Eve didn't have to listen to the serpent that was slithering up and down the tree and talking. It's presented as a serpent. It could have been a man, for all we know. It's presented as a serpent because that's the most vile creature most human beings dislike are snakes, right? But they're not going to tell you that Eve still had a choice. She chose evil. That was her free will. She chose, even though they walked with God in the eve of the afternoon, as the Bible says in Genesis, it does say so. She still chose to listen to something else. And why? Because God wanted to prove that you still have free will. All these millennials who are turning away from religion, I'm not going to speak anything bad about them or condemn them to a life of this or that. I'm not going to do that. You know why? If they're practicing their free will. Maybe it's not them. Maybe their children or maybe their grandchildren will grow up and wanting to have some sort of experience with some form of religion that they read about in history books. Because if it's one thing I have learned is that my life, from what I have seen of humanity, I haven't found a human being or heard of a human being who has been alive since the days of King James. I haven't heard of a human being who has been alive since the days of, 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 of Methuselah. That tells me that God, the concept of God, and God is eternal. Therefore, if God is eternal, I'm coming to you, I see somebody calling. If, therefore, if God is eternal, <laughs> right, then guess what? He's going to continue even after our days have passed. Somebody is calling. You all want to hear this? Hang on. Hello. Good morning. Welcome to Down to Earth. <clears throat> Hello. Good morning. How are you? I'm fine. Can you speak up a little bit so we can hear you? Yeah, I'm sorry. Could you hear me better now? Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah, I actually just tuned in, and it's kind of like an interesting topic, you know. Um, you were talking about how millennials are turning turning away from religion. Yeah. Um, are you, I don't think are it's you just millennial? the millennials. Like, no, actually, I was born in 1980, right? So I'm I'm mm-hmm. like, I guess I'm in your generation. I'm Generation X, right? <clears throat> right. And right? I've... Um, I've noticed that it's not just the millennials, you know, it's also, it's like, it's Generation X as well. It's a, it's a lot of people turn away from religion because, I don't know, I guess we're in an age of information now. So, you know, uh, long gone are the days where we used to, you know, get told by our parents not to ask any questions or don't question God or just pray about it, right? Because right. now when these kids ask questions, they can just look it up right on their phone now. You know, they can fact check, so they can cross-examine things now. It's not like right. back in the day where you had to go all the way to a library and go into the encyclopedias and look up stuff and, you know. Now, uh-huh. now it's like, you know, they could just look, go right on their cell phone and just look it up and, you know, go to all kinds of uh, different, uh, you know, explanations on scriptures and, you know, uh, uh-huh. conspiracies and all kinds of stuff, you know. So it's, it's, a little, it's a bit more difficult now to uh-huh. try to get people to stay interested in religion. You know, I agree. Yes. Yeah. And I and think about it. Uh huh. No, go ahead. 
Oh no, and especially since the church pretty much is is segregated. I mean, they hide their faces on Sundays. You know, they don't come out into the community. They don't help people. They don't. You know, when you think about it, the average church in the community, doesn't even know what the church across the street like, who they are, or who the pastor is. Like the pastors don't know each other. You know, I noticed because when I was raised, I was raised uh, apostolic Pentecostal, right? Right. So, like. When we were growing up, we would fellowship with certain churches every year. It would be the same churches. We wouldn't, oh. we wouldn't even know who the church was right across the street from us. You know what I'm saying? We wouldn't know who wow. the pastor was. We wouldn't know the members. We would see them. We would get upset because they were parking our parking spots. You know, we would complain about that. But we would never, ever reach out to them. They would never reach out to us to do something in the community wow. to show our faces. You know, we were always just fellowship with the same people, and I kind of, I kind of blame that on you know the churches selling out way back in the right. late '50s, early '60s. You know, during the civil rights struggle with the 501c3, uh-huh. Lyndon B. Johnson implemented the 501c3 for the churches. So the right. church been sold out a long time ago. You know what I'm saying? So with that uh-huh. coupled with the age of information that we're living in, people are yeah. not interested in the church. You know, that's why the church is constantly being disrespected. You have so many effeminate men in the church, so many, you know, homosexual men. You got a lot of, you got a lot of, a lot of suspect stuff going on in the church. You know, it's no longer like, (laughs) it's no longer a place where our people meet. It's no longer a place where our people meet to Uh organize and strategize and mobilize. You know, like back in the day, we used to, we used to meet and we used to, you know, we used to Uh know what the order the day was for the day and the next day. You know, the next week where we, you know, we we used to organize there. And the government right. hated that. They absolutely hated that. So in order to separate us, they implemented that whole 501c3 thing. And now with that, you know, churches can't really get together and do anything for our people wow. in the community. So like I say, with that coupled mm-hmm. with that being in the age of information, and these, these kids ain't trying to hear that anymore. You know, it's like Jesus going right. to save us. Man, we got to save ourselves. You know what I'm saying? Wow. So isn't that something though? Know, it's like that's you're, you're all going out some the interesting, You're raising some interesting points here, and I want to thank you for contributing to our conversation this morning. That is eye opening. I love this. You gonna call me back again? Oh, yeah, I will definitely. When is your uh? When is your show? I, I decided to come across it's it. So daily to... at 10 a.m. It's daily at 10 a.m. You can always listen oh, to it perfect. because it's a podcast, so it's always recorded. Yeah. Perfect. Okay. Thank you. Uh, what's your name? My name is Don, and I'm calling from Philly, Philly, Pennsylvania. Don from Philly. Thank you, Don from Philly. I appreciate you. This was so interesting. I'm kind of going to shoot off most of the things you say. <laughs> Thank you, Don. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I hope I hope people think about some stuff that I said. You know, that's all I want yeah. you to do is think, you know. I cool. like that. Right. Mobilize and organize, and we left that and kind of just went into, into a lot of stuff. I like that. Thanks so much. Yep, no doubt. All right. Uh, you all heard that. You all heard that. That is so true. The church changed. And and as as Don was pointing out, my, my caller, as Don was pointing out, what really happened is that the church never fellowships with everybody. The church is not a part of the community. They kind of maintained their hold on this one little part and didn't become a part of the community. So the community doesn't know. Like many people drive past these buildings called churches, and I'm sure today's children are probably saying, what's that over there? Why that building looks so different? Why does it have uh, colored glass windows? And what, what is that statue on that building? If they go to a, a funeral at a cemetery, they're probably asking, well, why is there a woman holding a baby in her arms standing there? And what are those things that look like wings on, on that statue? You see what I'm saying? Because we have deferred the church left. The idea that Christianity was formed around was communion, one with another, fellowshipping. The idea that the church, the early church was based on, and I'm making a distinction between the early church and what exists now, is that the church was supposed to be a communion. We were supposed to answer each other's uh, problems. That was how it was designed to be. The church hasn't done that in centuries. In fact, you walk in there with land, they're probably going to take your land and put their names on it, right? So the church has changed. And some of you are going to tell me about the crusade when, when Richard the Lionheart, that guy, not really proud of him. But anyway, um, William the Conqueror uh, actually conquered land 
in the name of, of, of Christianity, but then his soldiers came in and raped and pillaged and took over people's land. In the same way, they colonized and went to other parts of the world and said, well, I'm a Christian, and God said, whatever I touch, I'm supposed to, to, to do it. Right? Seriously? You're going to take over people's land? Right? So people now, in the age of information, you have millennials, you can't just control their thoughts anymore because they have a computer in their hand that they're going to look up the meaning of. And trust me, they're going to find it. So it makes no sense. So religious leaders now are challenged. We have to have the right answer. And to me, the right answer is give people the freedom of thought. Let them be free to choose. They, I, I told, listen, honestly, Don, if you're still listening, years ago I told a, a guy who holds the title of a bishop, I said, eventually your church is going to be empty. It owns one of the largest churches in this area. I said, eventually your church is going to be empty, and it's going to be you and a camera streaming on the Internet to appeal to people. He laughed me out the room because he had grown up seeing his father being a bishop and thousands of people coming in and people, you know, they had influence over people. So they had influence over people's lives. There are some churches who even took out insurance on their members. You know that, right? Where if the member dies, they collect an insurance policy on the member because they ensured that the member's uh, livelihood contribution was part of their livelihood. I kid you not. Did you know such a thing happened? Yeah. Okay. Right. So what happened is that when I said churches were going to change, it's like, what are you talking about? I said, times have changed and the church hasn't. You're still saying, well, we're supposed to stay. No, you're not supposed to stay the same. The Bible says, the scripture say in Isaiah, behold, I do a new thing. Shall it not be forth? God is always doing a new thing. Why are you still stuck in the same old, same old oppressive religious practices and expect the people to be a part of it. I only have a few more minutes. I'm just going to wrap this up real quick. So what is going to happen? Where's all this going to go? It's, as my caller said, it's not just millennials who have walked away. He kind of just opened the whole thing and blew it wide open. It's not just millennials. It's generation Xers. It's not just millennials. It's the generation after them, generation Z. And you know who else? The generation after generation Z, my nephews and my nieces, guess who they are? Generation Alpha. They won't have anything to do with organized religion because, of course, their parents are millennials who grew up and who didn't go to church. So what is the cultural relevancy? So the church in this new age has to work to prove its cultural relevancy. And I don't think they have that figured out yet. They're still existing off the traditions and the forms of men and the traditions that they're accustomed to. You've got to understand America is leading the way on that because we have more information. The way the Internet operates here is not the way it operates in other parts of the world. When those folks wake up and realize they have more access to the answers that they're seeking and that they're not getting the responses they need, from the traditional religious leader who still has to conform to what his order says. Make no mistake about it, they are part of a religious order. That's what the caller was alluding to. He said he grew up apostolic, which means that that was a particular order and practice of Christianity. You could not stand out of the order. You would be a standalone, and if you stood outside the order, they were going to steal your members. They were going to take your members. So you had to say what they tell you to say. You have to say. That's why they didn't like me, because what they wanted me to say was to continue to say the things that they were saying, and I wasn't going to have any part of it because I found it repressive and oppressive. I found there was no part in it for my individual thought, and I had lots of questions just like you. I was questioning everything up and down the the spectrum. I asked every question and they couldn't answer it. Once I told a preacher that he wasn't studied enough. I said, you're not reading the Bible enough. You're not perusing it. You need a number of reference manuals. So if you're going to come and preach, make sure you have some cultural relevancy and application and have some reference manuals so people won't stand there looking. He looked at me like I was crazy. What he didn't realize is that I was the foregoing. I was the newcomer. I was the forerunner to the movement where people would walk out of the church. Because if I'm asking you questions 
that are challenging you, you need to go do your research and come back and give the answers. He didn't think he thought I was outside the spectrum. So they did everything to vilify and ostracize me based on the fact that I didn't believe in the oppression and repression that they practiced. So they literally threw me out of the church. It was organized, organized from the leadership on down because I was a danger. You know what happened in spite of throwing me out of the church? People walked away nonetheless because as time went on, they were not, they too were not getting the answers that they need. Millennials are just one group. We have a whole other group to worry about, Generation Y. They ain't going back either. And after them, Generation Z, and after them, the alphas, the people who grew up with tablets, the people who grew up, all they knew is swipe up or swipe to the side. The people who knew you touch a screen and the answers are there, they ain't going back. And it's all right with God. Here is God sitting. And it's all right with him. God foreknew, don't faith him. He's still going to sit there and watch it all pan out. Oh, you have a question? Okay, I'll answer your question. Do you see what I'm saying? And millennials are leaving for this reason. Until church leaders get the idea that they need to be inclusive, Nowadays, if you watch most church services, you notice they're giving millennials a platform, but the people are still resenting it. The church leader is trying to keep his church going because he now recognizes he needs young people to build it. So he's giving millennials a platform, but the people in the church are resentful because you haven't socialized that generation to accept that, behold, God is doing a new thing, shall it not spring forth. The change has come, and the church was caught. It's a catastrophic change. The, the church is catatonic. Like, oh, my God, immovable. And they're standing there looking at you, and the people are like, I don't know what you mean. You have no relevance to me. Show me your relevance. And this is why you're not going to find people like me in the pulpits across America, because I'm outside the spectrum. I recognize that a change had to come. I still believe in God. I still believe in Jesus. But the practices that have been passed down for generations have repressed and oppressed people. I'm one of them. Ladies and gentlemen, I was born in church liberally. My family owned a church. Would you believe that my grandparents, my grandmother's family, they owned a church? Maybe two, I think. One was a Baptist and one was, no, I think about it. So I kind of like slept on the church pew. All of my life, kind of thing. Know about church governance. And like everybody else, I walked away for a while. And then when I got older, I came back. I kid you not. It's a living story, right? So I kind of am familiar with it. Maybe that's why I walked away, because it was repressive and oppressive, and they didn't give me any room to be a person. I just wanted to be a person. I wanted to go to a party and dance. And maybe have a drink or two and try a cigarette. What, what, what is wrong with that? Let them try it. They're going to change eventually if the truth is within them. And that's what's happening right now. Even millennials walking away from religion is telling us religious leaders that they're searching for truth. But our religious leaders understanding and interpreting it like that. No, you know what they see that? They're just rebellious. They're just walking away from, no, you are wrong. You're trying to control people. They are not being rebellious. They're still searching for truth and relevancy that we have failed to deliver. That's all. That is all that it is. It's a lesson and an instruction. And the same God whom you uh, repressive, oppressive religious people practice, it's looking at you like, let me see what you're gonna, how you're going to handle that. Because it's your fault. It wasn't God's fault. It's your fault. You practice a form of religion that's so repressive and oppressive, that lacked cultural relevancy in its application, that could not resonate with people's experiences, that now they're like, to heck with you. I don't need you. What do you mean to my life? Are you part of the community? As, as, as my caller Don said, are you part of the community? Do you show me some relevance? Look at Joel Osteen, America's pastor, greeting every Sunday. 
the people in Houston needed shelter from a hurricane and he would not open his doors to the church. He can never, ever stand before me and tell me that he loves people. You love God, but you don't love the people of God. The people needed shelter from the storm. You had the shelter. You could be a modern day Noah. And what did Joel Osteen do? He said they're not welcome in his building. And you expect that a 25-year-old person today and a 27-year-old person today who has access to that information is going to find you culturally relevant to his life? What does that say? People are in need right here in my community. Where are the churches to respond to those needs? People are homeless. Women and children are getting shot up. Where are the pastors? Big pimping and big balling. They're on Channel 4, Channel 7, Channel 2, and live behind gated communities. That's where they are. They go down into the hood, collect the money, then drive right out with their security, make sure they drive out the gate with their security till they get to the freeway. Then they take off and go to their palatial residences. This is why you are not culturally relevant. That's why millennials find you at a disconnect. And until you start relating to the people, relating to them doesn't mean you give them one Sunday to operate their church. You've got to listen to what they believe. Find some ways to appeal to them. Not the ones who are your children's friends. Not the ones who you kind of help to raise because they grew up with you. Not those. The wider group of people. Make it so that they can find, see themselves in the story. That's why they like rap music. That's why they appeal to some forms of music. They see themselves replicated and duplicated. Just like my caller said, where is the relevance today? I don't see myself in the story. You practice, how are you practicing something that they don't see? And if you're not careful, people like Kanye become significantly relevant to this generation. Because what? They can see themselves in him. Here's somebody who had issues with drugs and all kinds of lascivious ways of living. But now he's saying he's converted. That's what they want to see. Be transparent and open. I read a story yesterday about a Missouri church elder who was on the app Grinder. You know, the Grinder is the app for uh, people seeking uh, male same-sex uh, uh, encounters, right? He's busy preaching against homosexuality, but he's on the app looking for male sexual encounters. So they set him up and had a sting. And they caught him red-handed. Don't you think that if he had some relevancy, some transparency in saying, I have struggles with my sexuality. Don't you think that maybe people would find him more believable? I bet he's one of those who practice the oppressive, repressive form of religious identification. The other ways that they're leaving uh, is the other way. If we don't do something to demonstrate and you don't have to take up or pontificate. You just need to show them by your relevance. My, my, my children's uh, friends come over. But I'm a real person. So I'm just like, are you going to college? Don't drink and smoke because it's bad for you. But at the same time, they don't see me putting on my clothes going out to the discotheque. Neither do they see me picking up cigarettes, smoking, and drinking. By your lifestyle. By your lifestyle. So if I'm going to tell them, if at any time, I said, well, I'm going to need your help because I'm going to start a church or something, they, they most likely are going to say, okay, what are you going to say? And I'm going to say here, because they see how you live. Transparency. Transparency. That's the new age. That's what they want to see. Are you transparent? Are you part of the community? Can the people come into your church when they have an issue? Can you be a sanctuary? You're out here singing, Lord, make me a sanctuary. But can you be a sanctuary in times of civil uprising? Can you be a sanctuary when the people are running? Can you be their voice to stand up against injustice? Will you? Can you? And until then, millennials will continue to find there is no no relevancy. Right? Until then, they're going to continue to wonder what is going on. We need to stand up. Religious leaders need to stand up, be culturally relevant, 
And by being culturally relevant doesn't mean you'll let them play rap music on a Sunday morning. That's not what they're talking about. It's in your practice. It's in what you say and what you do. Do it so that they can see that there is some kind of thing where this intersects my life. When I talk about intersections, they look at me like, I'm telling you, when I started talking about this kind of stuff 10 years ago, they looked at me like, that's somebody we need to get out of the church because that's a danger to us. When I started talking about intersections and intersectionality becoming a relevant theme, they looked at me like I was crazy. They looked at me like, that's somebody I'm not in. That's why you don't see me in their pulpit. Because I'm not preaching what they want to hear, the enforcement of oppressive religious practices that continue to oppress people. I can't even lie to you. Because I don't, I can't even do that, to be honest with you. Because I'm such a free spirit myself. I, I, you know, I like freedom of thought. I like to be free to be myself and to think. I, I like to find the answer. Show me in the scriptures where this happens. Show me how it relates to my life. They pick out parts of it that they want to use to control your thoughts. And then they don't match up with it. Their lifestyles don't match up. I got to go. They're, they're, I, I got to go. I got to wrap up. And this is why millennials are finding it culturally intrusive and irrelevant. And not just millennials. They've lost part of my generation, Generation X. We've definitely lost Generation Y. We definitely lost Generation Z. Millennials are Generation Y. We've lost Z, and then we start all over again with the alphas. You know, those people who are born now, the 10-year-olds and under. I think it goes up to 12. 12 and under are alphas. Those folks don't know nothing but tablets. They don't even know what a church is. They probably drive past me and say, Mom, what's that building? (laughs) Right? Think about it. Religious leaders, think about it your cultural relevancy and transparency. If this show has been a blessing to you, go to my website, harrychemist.com, as well as go to the exodusfoundation.com. See what we do. I am an author and speaker. This is what I talk about. Thank you so much. My podcast is heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and a variety of other podcast platforms. Thank you so much for your continued support. Share this with others. I appreciate you. Thank you, everybody. I got to go. Thank you so much. Be blessed. I really do have to go, everybody. Thanks so much. Be blessed. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.